This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing leg day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com cultivate. That's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show. Growing up as a latchkey kid in a small town in Maine, I always assumed I was safe. After all, unless it makes national news, murder isn't something people talk about around here. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Murder, She Told is a true crime podcast featuring crime stories, unsolved murders and missing persons, and baffling cold cases from my home state of Maine, New England, and small towns across America. These are the crime stories your hometown doesn't want to talk about. The mysteries buried deep in the newspaper archives of local American history. These are the homicides you've probably never heard of before. Through detailed storytelling and connections with family, friends, and investigators closest to the case, Murder, She Told will hit home for any true crime fan, whether you're from Maine or from away. Visit MurderSheTold.com to suggest your hometown crime story. And subscribe now wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Kristen Seavey, and this is Murder, She Told. Hi, Fred. My name is Josh Shell, host of the Let's Start a Cult podcast the only podcast that has decided to host their podcast on OnlyFans. So if you want hours of content of my feet, just search Let's Start a Cult on OnlyFans. All right, now that the, all the weirdos are gone, let's uh, let's introduce my guest this episode. The weirdos are gone now? Wouldn't they have stayed? No, they would have gone to search my feet. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> Although they might want to stay for this episode. It's definitely weird. So the voice you just heard is one third of Shots and Thoughts podcast, one third of my other podcast, Reddit on Wiki. And if he acquires a third podcast, not even the Avengers will be able to stop this man. Please welcome my good friend, Sean Salvino. What is going on, buddy? Not too much. Uh, I'm excited to be uh, one with Fred, finally, once and for all. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. I, I've mean to have you on for a while. It just... Haven't haven't matched up, so I'm glad to have you on for this episode. For sure. Thankful uh, to be on here. So, Sean, before we get started, I have to ask you, how do you feel about murder and more specifically mutilation? What are your feelings on that? All around bad, not good stuff. <laughs> but I, okay. I guess, you know, I'm not uh, overly sensitive to it, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, not good stuff. Not a fan, but you you won't shy away if it's presented to you. Yeah, exactly. My wife watches way too many murder shows, <laughs> murder podcasts for me to be uh, weak to it, I guess. Interesting. Maybe, maybe you should just be always looking over your shoulders then because she knows everything, like how to hide a body, basically. <laughs> Pretty terrifying. She says a lot of like, you know, if if one of us dies and then <laughs> goes on and I'm just like, wait a second here. You know what I'm saying? As she's sharpening the knife. <laughs> plotting my murder. Well, I hope uh, she waits at least an hour for us to finish this episode before she does that. Because <laughs> because in today's episode of the Let's Start a Cult podcast, we will be covering the story of the Ripper Crew, a group who terrorized Ooh. Chicago with a series of abductions and horrific killings between 1981 and 1982. Later, it would be revealed that they would eat amputated breasts of their victim as part of their sickening satanic rituals. They may have committed these horrific murders, but one of the cult members has since been released from prison. Even their leader will be eligible for parole in a few years' time, despite the authorities describing him as worse than the infamous Charles Manson. So, Sean, have you ever heard of the Ripper Crew, also known as the Chicago Rippers? No, holy shit. That sounds like a comic <laughs> book, like a Batman gang villain. Yeah, that's, that's a very good description. 
it sounds awful. Yeah, you definitely buckle up because uh, this one starts dark and gets even darker as we go. So definitely a trigger warning for anyone who needs that. Uh, this episode does get extremely graphic. Unfortunately, Sean, you are stuck here, so uh, you can't go anywhere. Me. <laughs> are you ready to jump into the Ripper crew? I guess I have to be now after that warning. <laughs> I never, I didn't tell you what it was going to be about, but this is payback for all the smut you made me read on Reddit on Wiki. <laughs> so, totally fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. The Ripper crew is widely regarded as one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. But despite this notoriety, not much is actually known about the early years of the group and its four members. Robin Getch, Edward Spritzer, Andrew Cocorales, and Thomas Cocorales, those are the four members. What has been disclosed to the public, though, is that Robin Getch, the group's leader, had been arrested sometime in 1979 and charged with contributing to the sexual delinquency of a 14-year-old girl. Uh, So starting off... Oh, I mean, like I said, starts dark, gets worse, uh, if that's possible. But this wasn't his first brush with the sexual-related offense. As a teenager, Getch had also been accused by his family members of molesting his own sister. Yeah. No. God. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's some Alabama shit. I don't know what he's doing in Chicago. (laughs) Well, I'm from Texas. I didn't want to say Deep South shit because... uh... We don't do that. Definitely, that's the Alabama, big Alabama vibes. No disrespect. Yeah, that's like uh, middle of the country kind of stuff. (laughs) So, in in a bid to cure him of this quote unquote sickness, his parents sent him to live with his grandmother, but their efforts were in vain. He continued to exhibit other disturbing behaviors throughout the years, with his wife even admitting that he loved to slice her breasts whenever they had sex. Oh, whoa. What? Yeah. And yeah. What? He had a wife? Uh, well, that that is uh, on alone fascinating. Uh, like, what kind of person would be with someone like that is my first question. After the first slide, like, there's a, it's probably not good to be here. Yeah. I mean, I guess there is like the BDSM crew. I don't know if that's part of that, but that's the extreme end of it, maybe. <laughs> But this is um, this is a kink that definitely comes back later on. And I'm not sure what his uh, obsession with breasts are, but they definitely uh, play a huge part in the killings. But we will get to that. At some point during his life, Getch found employment at PDM Contractors, a construction business established in 1971 by the notorious serial killer and rapist John Wayne Gacy, known as the uh, killer clown. He, too, terrorized the state of Illinois from 1972 to 1978 and was eventually found to have brutally murdered more than 30 people. If you haven't checked out Terrible People Doing Terrible Things episode on John Wayne Gacy, they'd cover all his terribleness. But it is kind of crazy that uh, this serial killer worked for another serial killer and kind of lucky for him because he was younger at this point, which John Wayne Gacy preyed on younger boys. So, I mean... If we're thinking like (laughs) like Dexter, it's too bad this serial killer didn't take out this serial killer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, man, out of all the 30 innocent children he killed, he couldn't have at least got the future serial killer. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he was grooming him to become a better serial killer. Who knows? (laughs) Because he definitely becomes that. It isn't known exactly how Getch met Edward Spritzer and the Cocorales brothers, Andrew and Thomas. However, sometime in the early 1980s, the four began to spending time together, with Getch becoming the de facto leader of their group, thanks to his innate charisma and authoritative personality. So he's basically the John of our group, Sean. <laughs> so, let's not draw parallels between us and the uh, rivers. Yeah, okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> The four of them would all hang out together at Getch's house, waiting until his wife left for work before heading up to the attic, which they referred to as the Satanic Chapel. Dark and lit only by candles. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, par for the course so far. Dark and lit only by candlelight, the room featured an altar draped in red cloth, as well as six red and black crosses that had been haphazardly painted on the wall. Spretzer and the Coporales brothers, uh, Co- brothers believe that Getch possessed supernatural powers, which he used to control others, both physically and mentally. They were convinced that this sphere of influence included them, 
However, they welcomed this idea, thinking that this gave meaning to their lives and a sense of purpose. Unfortunately, they believe that th- this purpose involved them committing a series of horrific murders. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> they believe that this purpose involved them committing a series of horrific murders. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of weird. They're kind of weird. They're like, we think he's controlling us, but we're cool with it. <laughs> we're cool with it because we're not doing anything else. What, yeah. Where do you we're, find these? These just clueless idiots yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't want to be rude because you know i mean mental health and whatnot but jesus uh, christ so many of these of people yeah that's fair that's fair they're probably <laughs> assholes for sure yeah yeah definitely yeah. assholes <laughs> yeah i don't know where you find people like this i mean once you find the one brother maybe it's just easier the other brother just follows along but there so you're you're really only finding two and then the other follows on June 1st, 1981, detectives arrived at Rip Van Winkle Motel in Villa Park, Illinois, after receiving a call about a foul odor coming from behind the lot. They ventured into the area expecting to find a dead deer, but encountering a decomposing body instead. It was clear that it had been there for some time, with maggots and wildlife reducing it to mostly bone and a few pieces of flesh still clinging onto them. Despite the body's destroyed state, the authorities were able to conclude that it had been a murder victim due to the pair of handcuffs wrapped around its wrists, as well as a gag crammed in its mouth. What horrified them most, though, was the fact that the corpse was missing its left breast, which implied a sexually motivated killing. So there's the breast thing again, and as I said, it's going to come up many times. This was perfectly in line with the place where it had been discovered since the Rip Van Winkle Motel was known for being a stopover where people could enjoy quick bouts of drugs and sex. And I wonder if they worked that into their ad campaign. You know, like, do you love drugs? Do you want to cheat on your wife? Well, then come down to the Rick Van Winkle Motel. Uh, <laughs> we got the perfect place for you. Cocaine yeah. and hookers, baby. <laughs> Need to dispose of a body? Well, down at the Rip Van Winkle Motel, we don't report bodies until they are nearly decomposed. <laughs> uh, yeah, how did yeah. that Holy, just a little bit of flesh left. How long was that body there? It would have to anybody be a while, said, right? Uh, I don't know the science behind it, but I would imagine <laughs> quite. Yeah, I, I should have looked that up, but I would I would hazard to guess it'd be at least a like a few weeks, if not months. Which is, you'd think it would start smelling before then. <laughs> I don't know. Like a yeah, like two a couple days. I would imagine a dead body is yeah. I guess the clientele for that motel were not high class. They were like used to the smell, maybe. <laughs> not too worried about bad smells there, I guess. No. Yeah, they're cheating on their wives and doing cocaine off hookers. So what do they care? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Using digital and dental records, the authorities were able to identify the body as that of 28-year-old prostitute named Linda Sutton, who had been abducted 10 days earlier from a Chicago suburb located nearby. When Pete Siekman, the local coroner, performed an autopsy on her, he found that she had been gang-raped, sodomized, stabbed multiple times, and had her left breast cut off shortly before her death. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad I gave a trigger warning at the beginning of this, because it definitely is not, yeah. uh, it's not a light episode. Josh, you are a strong guy to be doing multiple episodes of this stuff, man. This is a dark. <laughs> yeah, uh, to be fair, most cults aren't this dark. The murder cults get pretty dark. <laughs> That's where murder. Yeah, this is all. Yeah, yeah. Due to her brutalized state, the police were more than motivated to find her killers, lest they strike again. However, their efforts amounted to nothing, and after a few weeks passed with nothing to show for it, they were forced to let the Sutton case go cold. The next several months passed without any new victims turning up, which led authorities to hope that the killers behind her brutal death had stopped. Which is great police work. Just cross your fingers and hope they stopped. <laughs> Uh, please please (laughs) please don't do it again (laughs) sometime in early 1982 a woman named cynthia smith was abducted and slashed but ultimately managed to free herself when she filed a report the police considered her as the lucky second victim of those behind the sutton murders a year earlier but with neither evidence nor solid leads their investigation once again led nowhere Unfortunately for the police smith would be the only woman that year who was lucky enough to escape from her abductors that is weirdly worded, but she was she was lucky enough to escape. But for the police, it was unfortunate because she was the only one to escape. The next few people do not escape. Yeah, yeah I was I wasn't being like unfortunately for the, the police. <laughs> uh, no one else escaped. 
I, I understand. Hopefully everybody does. Fred, I think Fred's I'm with glad. you. I'm glad. I'm not rooting for the killers in this one. <laughs> Definitely uh, not. No, no. On February 12th, 1982, a car belonging to a cocktail waitress was found abandoned on the side of the road with his gas gauge empty and her keys still in the ignition. Soon afterwards, her naked body was discovered along the same road, too. The coroner later ruled that, like Sutton, she too had been mutilated, tortured, and raped before being killed. A few days after this horrific discovery, another body was found in the area. This time, it was a Hispanic woman whose breast showed signs of being savagely bitten. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, someone also masturbated over her corpse, which authorities to theorize that the string of abductions and murders so far had been sexually motivated, which is... Yeah, I think after the first one where it was like, yeah, she was yeah. raped, I think that would be oh, the guess. Oh, now right? finally, finally yeah. we know there's sexually motivated. <laughs> the whole time, oh. man, they cut the breast. Oh. oh, they masturbated? Yeah, that's definitely sexual now. Before, I don't know. I thought it was just some... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where to take this. <laughs> Power play. I don't yeah. know, man. Yeah. Seems like just a kid. they didn't have any, <laughs> any information. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. It's now we know. It's a bank robbery gone wrong. Oh, yep. However, their investigation only ramped up when the fourth victim was discovered. 21-year-old Lorraine Borowitzki, who went by the nickname Lori, had last been seen on the morning of May 15th, 1982, walking from her apartment at Elmshurst Gardens to the Remax office where she worked on St. Charles Road. When her boss, Donald Stibb, arrived there a few moments later, he noticed that a pair of women's shoes, cosmetics, and keychain had been dumped unceremoniously on the sidewalk in front of the office. Upon realizing that the items belonged to one of his employees, he immediately called the police and asked for help in search for for whiskey. A bolo warning flag was sent out, but to no avail. The young woman had seemingly vanished without a trace. Four months later, on October 10th, 1982, hunters walking through Clarendon Hills Cemetery spotted a corpse lying in the thicket, with a few articles of clothing scattered nearby. The victim was identified as Lori Borwiski. An autopsy later revealed that Borwiski had been repeatedly tortured and raped before being killed with an axe. Her body bore signs of savage beatings, and the coroner also determined that at some point during her captivity, a wire had been wrapped tightly around her breast. In fact, it had been put on so tightly that it ended up cutting off the entire breast. And objects were later inserted into the gaping wound. These guys are getting out of jail soon? One of them is out uh, right now? One's out already, yeah. One's getting out soon. The leader of this bullshit. Which is just insane. We'll get to the trials later, but yeah, they do some horrific, horrific, terrible, terrible things. Like, there's very few things that are darker than this. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for, re, you know, using jail as a rehabilitation to, you know, a recorrection type deal. You know, people can change. Mm-hmm. But like, what did you say? 17, 19 of these? Uh, it's like 18, how, I how 18? I mean, how is that yeah. not life? I mean, I'm sure we're going to get to it by the end of this. But like, goodness gracious. Yeah, you think this is what those those charges are made for? Like people like this. Exactly. Now, you could maybe make the argument and... Like I said, we'll get to the trial part, but you could maybe make the argument for the followers to be a little more lenient, but still definitely their lifetime being in jail. But yeah, the 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 main guy should definitely be locked away for many, many lifetimes, I think. Exactly. Yeah, so that was a short break, but now we're getting back to the, the terrible things. Because Borowiski had been found four months after her abduction, the authorities theorized that after she was killed, her captors, for some unknown reason decided to keep her corpse with them before dumping it at the cemetery. This was corroborated by her family's claims that they had thoroughly searched the area before the hunters made the gruesome discovery. On September 30th, 1982, a few days before Borowiski's body was found, another body of the murdered young woman was unearthed in a field in a nearby town of South Barrington. She was identified as 30-year-old Shu, Shu Mac, an immigrant from Hong Kong, who had disappeared on the night of May 29th, 1982, after being dropped off by her brother. He had last seen her at the Barrington and Irving Park Roads in Hanover Park, the same area where her body would be found a few months later. The autopsy determined that she had died from a fracture to her skull. However, her body was in such a destroyed state that her sister, Ling, was only able to identify her by her clothes she was wearing. Like, that's... That's crazy. Like, and, and the first one, they could only identify her by her teeth. 
Now that was more due to decomposition, but still it's just the abuse that they do to these bodies. Um, Just horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout 1982, the death toll steadily rose, sending waves of terror and anxiety throughout this entire state of Illinois. The public's fears were exacerbated by the lack of developments in the murder investigations. Since the bodies were always discovered in severely mutilated states, fingerprints and other kinds of genetic samples often couldn't be obtained from them. But on June 13, 1982, a few weeks after Schumach disappeared, a prostitute named Angel York was propositioned by a man who called himself John. It's John. Oh. <laughs> no. I should have had John on. Damn it. <laughs> no, nah, he wouldn't have been alive back then. <laughs> He's old. He's not that old. Um, upon getting into his van, she was attacked by his two friends who had hidden in the back seat. They handcuffed her to the vehicle's inside, handed her a knife, and forced her to make cuts upon her own breasts. The men weren't satisfied with the wounds that she made, though. And one of them took back the knife and gave her much deeper slashes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, God. I almost want to skip this next part. A big trigger warning. Um, After masturbating into the gashes, he duct taped it shut and forced Angel out of the van, dumping her on the street. She, so, I mean, that is a terrible thing to happen, but it is, I'm glad that she managed to escape. You know what I mean? So she, she lived? Yeah, they dumped her out of the on on the on the streets, and she actually fled to the nearby police station, where she told them about the experience. The authorities theorized that her abductors were the ones leaving a trail of brutally murdered young women across the city. However, Angel couldn't remember any specific details about the men and the van. Because of this, the trail once again went cold. Golly, uh, man! Yeah, it, it is too bad. Like, I mean, you can't blame her. Obviously, she's traumatized, but it is too bad she couldn't. Oh, yeah identify anything because it could have potentially stopped a few a few more things and captured them a, a little bit earlier but so i'm guessing dna testing wasn't really a thing until i guess the yeah, 90s until, or something yeah maybe late 80s i'm not 100 percent sure on that but yeah definitely not around this time which is also unfortunate yeah but this is kind of why you see like serial killers in this time period because it was so harder to catch them back in the day yeah the, uh, the trail can dry so quickly yeah well exactly and like and if you think about it like this is only between 81 and 82 so within this two-year span like all this is happening which is just insane like it's just so quick on august 28th 1982 several weeks before the bodies of shu mac and Lori borowski were discovered the police came across the remains of a woman named sandra delaware whose body had been dumped under the fullerton Avenue Bridge on the north branch of the Chicago River. Delaware was found with her wrists bound together behind her back, although this time the perpetrators had used shoestrings. They had also stabbed her multiple times before strangling her to death with her own bra. Like the others, her left breast was amputated as well. So I wonder if it's like, I don't know. I don't know much about satanic rituals because they are like a satanic cult they claim to be. Yeah. I don't know if the left breast has something to do with that. But it seems to be that's the one they focus the most on. Yeah, uh, yeah, I have no idea. Oh, you're not a you're not a satanic uh, satanic cult. Not a huge, surprisingly, uh, <laughs> not a huge Satan guy myself. Oh, man. Uh, I thought I thought WWE and Satanism went together, right? Probably, definitely Vince McMahon and Satanism go together. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah, so I don't know, but it, it, the left breast seems to be the focus, even though they do on some occasions both. But yeah, fucked up either way. We'll continue on. Unlike the other victims, though, the coroner determined that Delaware had been killed only six hours before her body was found. This was in stark contrast to Shu and Borowitzki, whose corpses had been kept by their abductors for months after their deaths. The following months after the discovery of Delaware's body, another dead and mutilated woman was unearthed by authorities. A marketing executive from Broadway, Illinois, 30-year-old Rose Beck Davis, was found on September 8, 1982, underneath a stairwell of a three-story apartment building. When the police came across her remains, they found the corpse naked and lying on its back. Located close by were a sweater and a pair of blue corduroy slacks that those close to Davis identified as belonging to hers. The autopsy determined that Davis had been repeatedly stabbed and raped before being strangled with a black sock. Her face had been beaten up beyond recognition while her stomach showed numerous small punctures. 
Like the other victims, her breasts had also been cut and mutilated. So was he married this whole time he was killing people and like slicing up her breast while, you know, they were intimate? Like, yeah, where was the wife yep. didn't run to uh, the police and be like, you know, it's kind of <laughs> weird, but my husband does something sort of similar. Yeah, I I believe she stays with them. I don't I don't exactly know why, like how you would not be able to, unless she was in on it, maybe. Who knows? I mean, she's been brainwashed enough to be with him so who knows what she allowed them to get away with i don't know um yeah this podcast is brought to you by audible have you been wanting to read more but don't seem to have the time well with audible you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule stuck in traffic on your way home from work why not marathon the harry potter books in the gym and want to learn about the first lady well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing leg day. And if you go to audibletrial.com slash cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com slash cultivate. That's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show. Time to get going. So we're getting we're getting into the uh, not the final victim, but an interesting victim anyway. Not that, well, they're all interesting in their own different ways. The next victim was found a few weeks afterwards. This time, it was 18-year-old prostitute Beverly Washington, who had been dumped by the railroad track that lay near Chicago Humboldt Park. Unlike the other victims, though, the passerby who discovered her noted that she was still breathing, albeit barely. Washington survived her ordeal, but the injuries that she had been left with were horrific, including an amputated left breast, severely slashed right breast, and multiple stab wounds. Despite the torture that she had been subjected to, Washington was able to remember several important details about her abductors and their car. According to an article titled, The Ripper Crew Satanic Cannibal Cult Murders, quote, a red Dodge van with tinted windows had pulled up to Beverly and asked how much for a date. When the driver offered her more than she was asking for, she became nervous, but got in the van anyways. She told the cops all the details before, uh, she could remember, including the feathers hanging from the rearview mirror by a roach clip. The driver was a slender white man about 25 years old. During her attack, he wore a flannel shirt and square-toed boots. She said he had greasy brown hair and a mustache. End quote. She's a beast for remembering all. Oh, 100%. And like just surviving that awesome. whole ordeal. Yeah. Very, very strong of her to to, to be able to even Recollect like stay. All yeah. And stay conscious the whole time and, and, and like put it all in her memory. Kudos to her for sure. Beverly said that she was made to get in the back of the van, which could only be accessed through a hinged plywood door. Very sketchy already. There he handcuffed her and forced her to perform oral sex on him. Afterwards, she said, quote, Then he raped me and shoved some pills into my mouth and made me wash them down with soda pop. I blacked out, and the next thing I remember was I was in the hospital. End quote. Washington had only survived because her abductors had thought she was dead. Thanks to her account, the authorities were finally able to obtain a description of the killers and their vehicle. None of the investigators knew it yet, but the man that Washington had described was Robin Getch. While Washington was cooperating with Police officers, Getch and the rest of the Ripper crew were busy carrying out another murder. This time was different, though, because their victim was a local drug dealer named Raphael Torado, whom they shot while he was inside a phone booth. By this time, the mm. Ripper crew had started to take murder-for-hire contracts, and Torado was their first hit. However, they wouldn't last very long in this line of work because the police were closing in on them. All in all, between 1981 and 1982... The Ripper crew abducted a total of 18 women, six of whom were eventually found dead with mutilated bodies and amputated left breasts. This information had been kept from the public, though, since the police believed that it would prove to be useful uh, for future interrogations. They couldn't have been more right. So, uh, very interesting turn at the end there. They're like, yeah, we're going to be hitmen now after uh, abducting innocent women. We're going to 
It needs to be a, a running straight. The, these cults or these serial killers just get a little bit too cocky, and then they, they have major fuck-ups towards the end. Yeah, well, yeah. I think that's a lot of murders, right? They they either get, I don't know if it's nervous, or they get, yeah, too confident, <laughs> and they think they, think they can uh, handle more than they actually can, which is definitely what happens here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Armed with Washington's information, the authorities headed by Detective Warren Wilcos. Wilcos? Sure, we'll go with that. We'll go with it. Yeah, <laughs> close enough. WW. He's like, uh, he's like Peter yeah. Parker. Perfect. Yeah. They began talking to prostitutes hanging out in the Chicago's Cicero Avenue, hoping that one of them knew something. This paid off and they were able to locate the red van, which had been parked in nearby North Central Avenue. Sitting behind the wheel was a red-haired man that didn't fit Washington's description of her abductor at all. The interior of the vehicle, though, matched her account right down to the carpeted floors and the electrical wiring running along its walls. Upon questioning the driver, the police officer learned that his name was Edward Spritzers, and the van belonged to his boss, Robin Getch, who owned a business called R&R Electrical Company. Spritzer also told them that he was headed to an apartment where he had been hired to remodel. He allowed the police officers to follow him to the site, and once there, called Getch to come over so that he too could be interviewed. When Getch walked out of the apartment unit, the authorities were so shocked to see that he completely fit Washington's description of her almost killer. He was even wearing the same shirt and boots that she had claimed to have seen him in. So, she nailed it, like with the, with the description. Perfect. However, the police officers were still surprised that he seemed calm and composed while talking to them, which led them to consider if it had been a mix-up. Of course, they didn't know that they had just come face to face with a psychopath, which is very, you hear that a lot when like psychopaths, when, when confronted with information like this, they're always like, they think they can always get out of it because they think they know better than everyone. Just whereas normal calm. people, yeah, whereas normal people like, like I'd be freaking out. I'd be like, oh shit, <laughs> like just sweat. Even if I'm innocent, I'm like, oh man, I mean, i I've not committed crimes and I would not be comfortable talking to the cops like yeah. outside oh, of my house. A hundred percent. You, you see a cop drive by you and you're like hands 10 and oh, two, yeah. uh, 40. We're going, uh, one under the speed limit. <laughs> like it's, exactly. uh, yeah, it's so that's psychopath would not do any of that. Uh, Getch was ordered to go to the fifth district police station for further questioning to which he agreed. During his interview, several police officers searched his van and found a sedative tablet, which matched the description of the tablet that Washington said she had been forced to swallow. Getch seemed relaxed and easygoing during his initial interview, but when he was asked to come back a few weeks later for a follow-up, his demeanor had changed. This time, he was accompanied by a lawyer and appeared more guarded about his answers. Unfortunately for him, Edward Spetzer hadn't been as composed during his interview. After being interrogated for hours, he broke down and confessed to the murders, writing a 78-page statement that he was the designated oh. driver. <laughs> Which, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Designated. Yeah. Yeah, right. He's like, I, I didn't do anything. I just drove. Um, what do you want to know about me driving? <laughs> yeah, he, he also said that Getch would have sex with the prostitutes they abducted before slicing off their breasts and bringing it back with him into the vehicle. He also talked about an incident wherein Getch had viciously beat a woman to death with a hammer, resulting in a sight so gruesome that Spritzer admitted to violently throwing up after. Uh, so, according to Spritzer, he was terrified of Getch. His bloodlust and his supernatural powers, which was why he agreed to have sex with a gaping chest wound of their victims, even if doing so disgusted him. Which, I don't know if that's, uh... Don't know Accurate. if that's a good... Yeah, well, I don't know if that's a good to cover, you know what I mean? Like... I only did it because of I was scared of him. Like that's uh that's another level. You still, <laughs> yeah, you still did it, dude. Yeah, like Nazis were still Nazis, you know what I mean? <laughs> they were yeah, falling exactly. over. Oh. They they took it to extremes. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. In all Edward Spitzer confessed to being involved in seven different murders. The authorities used his statement to confront Getch. However, he denied all the allegations against him. To scare him into confessing, he was made to watch part of Spritzer's interrogation, but didn't seem phased by it at all. Spritzer, on the other hand, had a more visceral reaction to seeing Getch. Quote, He turned white as a ghost and suddenly changed his story. He said that Getch had never killed anyone. Spritzer started talking real fast and trying to take back his confession. 
When pressed by police, Spitzer said that his girlfriend's brother, Andrew Kokorales, uh, killed all those women, end quote. So he basically, when he saw Getch, he com- completely did a 180 and was like, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, he didn't He didn't kill anyone. Like, what a, yeah, those, what a coward. Those 78 pages prior that I admitted <laughs> to everything, I just made up 78 pages of, of a story. None of that is yeah, you, true. It's all... You like... <laughs> you like my uh my horror horror book that I'm writing? It's uh I, I know it has everyone's name in it, but I just use them for inspiration. <laughs> That's it. Rob Rob did nothing. <laughs> it was this other guy, Andrew. He he did it all. Yeah, what a coward. Like, just a one eighty. But uh given this retraction and Getch's refusal to admit anything, the police were forced to let him go. They decided to look into his background in the hopes of discovering something that would tie him to the murders. After weeks of interviewing his personal acquaintances and tracing his movements for the past few months, they managed to find several damning links. The authorities discovered that in 1981, Getch had checked into the Rip Van Winkle Motel for several months. The three rooms next to his were also rented by Edward Spretzer and the Cocorales brothers, Andrew and Thomas. That was the year that the first murder victim, Linda Sutton, was found, and her body had been dumped in the lot behind the Van Winkle Motel. Which, I mean, as a murderer, like, at least try and dump it further away, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I didn't even try. Yeah, they walked 100 uh, meters. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's a good enough spot. They'll never catch me. Return to the scene of the crime. <laughs> yeah, you can't return to the scene of crime if you never left it. That's genius. Andrew... Andrew Cocorellis was immediately brought in for questioning, especially since Spritzer had alleged that he was the one who committed the murders. It didn't take long for him to break, and the police noted that his confession included details about the victims that hadn't been disclosed to the public. The information he gave was also eerily similar to the coroner's reports, which cemented their belief that he had been involved in the abductions and killings. Cocorellis told the authorities that he made use of piano wire to cut off the women's breasts. That wasn't the most disturbing part of his confession, though. According to him, all four members of the Ripper crew would take turns oh, masturbating into the amputated breasts before eating parts of them during their satanic rituals in Getch's attic. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys were fucked. <laughs> like, uh, Dude, fuck you guys, man. Yeah. You ever heard that uh, game? What is it? The cracker game? Frat boys play? No. No. Okay, we won't even go there then. <laughs> Look it up if you're interested. It reminds me of that. But they all eat it instead of just one person. That gives you a hint as to what the cracker game is. In total, Andrew Cocorellis admitted that to being involved in 18 murders, including that of Rose Davis's and Lori Borowitzki's. He also described the killings of Sandra Delaware in sickening detail. I will not go into the details because I am tired of going into these details. <laughs> um, I don't blame you. One bit. Yeah. Andrew's brother, Thomas, was also brought in for questioning. Upon learning that he failed the polygraph test, he broke down and admitted to everything, even confessing that they had brought most of the victims to their satanic chapel in Getch's home in order to rape, torture, and murder them. He claimed that they used a variety of knives and ice picks to mutilate their bodies and referred to their practice of eating parts of the amputated breasts as taking communion. So... No! Kind kind of... Like a cracker, right? No, no definitely. <laughs> uh, Let's before <laughs> God cracks us where we stand. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I, I've never been to a church like that. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, he also told the authorities that Getch would keep the remains of each breast in a special box. Once, when he looked inside, Thomas Cocorales counted fifteen of them. In total, Thomas Cocorellis admitted to being involved in three murders, including that of Lori Borowitzki's. Needless to say, the investigators were horrified and sickened by the confessions that they have heard by the three men. Elmhurst Police Detective John Miller even said, quote, I've done many homicide cases, and I've never heard anything so horrendous in my life. Thomas Cocorellis talked about raping the women, stabbing the women, having sex with the knife wounds, and cutting their breasts off to leave what he called Robin's Mark, end quote. Oh like, that is God. dark and just disgusting. Like, imagine being a police detective for a major city and he's saying this is the worst thing he's ever seen. 
Like that is saying something. Yeah, for sure. Especially, they see a lot of Chicago. shit. Yeah, especially Chicago, right? Ugh. And um, Gacy was Chicago, right? Like you said, he earlier. was. Yeah, yeah. Not too much. Not too uh, long before that, it would have been around ten years before that. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know what the wa- what's in the water there, but I hope they cleaned it up since since the eighties. Um, Hopefully. Armed with these confessions, the authorities executed a search warrant on the homes of all four members of the Ripper crew. Inside Getch's house, they discovered the Satanic Chapel, as well as the rifle that killed Rafael Torado, their final murder victim. Throughout the investigation, Getch maintained his innocence and claimed that he had neither harmed the women nor forced Spretzer and Cocorales brothers to do so. In an attempt to avoid going to trial, he declared himself insane, but was deemed competent enough by numerous medical professionals who evaluated his mental state. I don't know. If, I think he's probably insane, but still, <laughs> I don't know if that gives you a free pass. Yeah, if I was a mental expert, I'd be like, oh, no, he's definitely sane. Fuck this guy. <laughs> true, true. I guess you'd just do it out of spite to be like, no, you're, you're not getting out of this one, you fucking piece of shit. Exactly. Getch's first trial ended in a mistrial. His second one, which began on September 20th, 1983, wasn't as successful either. Spretzer and the Cocorales brothers recanted their confession, and Getch, who took the witness stand in his defense, insisted that he was innocent. Since nobody testified against Getch, the jury was unable to find him guilty of the brutal killings carried out between 1981 and 82. Instead, he was only convicted of rape and battery, an attempt of murder of Beverly Washington, for which he was sentenced to 120 years in prison. Robin Getch is currently incarcerated in the Maynard Correctional Center in Chester, Illinois, he will be eligible for parole in 2042. So I guess not soon, like soon, relatively, 20 years. <laughs> Meanwhile, Thomas Cockerellis was convicted of rape and murder of Lori Borowitzki, for which he was sentenced to life in prison. The prosecution had initially called for the death penalty, but the DuPage County judge decided to throw this out. In 1986, the Illinois Appeals Court reversed Thomas Cockerellis' guilty verdict, citing legal errors in his original trial. He was granted a new trial and pled guilty to the murder of Lori Borowitzki, for which he received 70 years prison sentence. In 2017, Thomas Cocorales came up for parole. To force him to stay behind bars, the authorities tried to have him committed as a sexual violent person and cited the various murders that he had participated in, including that of Shu Max, whom he admitted to raping. However, the psychiatrist who evaluated Thomas determined that he wasn't sexually violent. Despite widespread criticism, he was released from prison in March 2019 after serving only half his sentence. Um, oh, so off of one psychiatrist? No, there was there was a few. There was a multiple. It was multiple psychiatrists. Thomas Cockerellis must register as a sex offender as long as he's living in Illinois. He is currently resides in the city of Aurora, located a few miles west of Chicago. I, I I like to say the city just so everyone knows in that city where he is, just to have a heads up if anyone's listening from there. Meanwhile, his brother Andrew recanted his earlier confession, in which he admitted to beating Rosebeck Davis to death with a hatchet. Despite his claims, though, the jury, after three-hour deliberation, found him guilty of raping and murdering the young woman and sentenced him with the death penalty. The next few years saw Andrew Cocorales appealing several times, all of which were denied. He also claimed to have been suffering from a schizophrenic break at the time of Davis's murder, and blamed his original defense attorney for failing to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. The Greek Orthodox Church, which the Cocorales brothers were part of, even became involved in an effort to save Andrew from the death penalty. All of these efforts, thankfully, failed, and he was administered with a legal injection on March 17, 1999, at the age of 35. And actually, Andrew Cocorales was the last inmate to be executed by the state of Illinois. His death came almost 12 years before Governor Pat Quinn enacted legislation on March 9th, 2011, that abolished capital punishment, which led him to commute the sentence of 15 inmates on death row to life imprisonment without parole. So I don't know why Andrew got the short end of the stick, because they all seem to do equally, if not worse, terrible things. So I don't I don't really understand. But how do you how do you you release Thomas, (laughs) but you fucking kill Andrew? What? They're like, we can't have both brothers in prison, so we're going to kill one and release the other. (laughs) Yeah, it makes no sense to me. I don't understand the prison system, but yeah, not that I'm for capital punishment, but if anyone deserved it, it was these four. Yeah, I don't really believe in capital 
punishment, but it's like there should be a special place for just obviously evil yeah. people. The worst of the worst, for sure. I'll, Wikipedia, Thomas's address is just fully on Wikipedia, which makes me want to go nice. over there and beat his beat his ass. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how many times... Not that not that we're calling for any of this because I of think course, that would cause course, me some legal issues. Not, Do not yeah, go but, beat these people. They are hopefully reformed. But yeah, oh, that is crazy. Yeah. That is it's just it's just wide open. Here's I guess they have to right because they're he's he's a sex offender, so he has to be on. Like you have to know where his, his address is, right? Yeah. So and finally, Edward Spitzer on the other hand pleaded to uh, guilty to killing Chumac, Sandra Delaware, Rosebeck Davis, and Raphael Torado. On April 2nd, 1984, he received a life sentence for each of the four murders. Two years later, on February 25th, 1984, Spetzer once again went on trial for the murder of Linda Sutton, the first of the Ripper Crew victims. He was convicted of aggravated kidnapping and murder, for which he received the death penalty as well. In 2003, Governor George Ryan, before leaving office, granted Edward Spetzer clemency, which turned his death sentence into life imprisonment without parole. So he got off on on that one as well <laughs> but no, did not, no did, parole so he's he's stuck in prison right oh yeah which is good yeah 100 percent. but it is funny that he was like yeah the guy that's on trial for five of the murders not andrew <laughs> he, he's like i'll i'll let him off but not not the other guy <laughs> uh, that guy's done yeah yeah we don't like that guy maybe he was I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why they picked on that guy, but yeah, whatever. To this day, Robin Getch maintains his innocence, claiming that he was never the leader of a satanic cult and that he never participated in the brutal murders of at least six women. He continues to say that his his obsession with breasts was merely an inherited family trait and no way indicates that he was involved in the killings, which is a weird yeah, way to okay. be like, I love breasts, but that wasn't me. I didn't do it. <laughs> I, I inherited it, but it doesn't mean I'm involved in killing. It's like, okay, that's that's a weird way to defend yourself, but okay. Yeah. Once during an interview, Getch said, quote, I don't only face the injustices, but the nightmares that follow. You have no idea the pain and hurt I face and feel every single day I sit here and lose hope. I'm not an angel, but I never intentionally hurt anyone unless it was to protect myself or my family. I could never live with the killing or knowing I was responsible for taking one's life, end quote. Despite these claims, though, almost nobody believes that Getch never played a part in the abductions and murders that terrorized Chicago. And that is the end of the Chicago Ripper crew. Uplifting story, right? <laughs> I still have so many questions. Like, sure. did they not find the boxes of women, like the of 15 breasts? in his satanic like did they not uh, find all of that or uh it seems i don't believe all charged one one murder each and i'm like <laughs> they murdered eight people or at least attempted so, to murder eight people yeah yeah well they focused on the murder murders because there yeah there was a few attempted ones yeah i i don't know if they found the breast box as i'm calling it they maybe destroyed it I don't or ate it. They ate a lot of them. Remember that? So, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I know you tried to suppress it, but I'll bring it back for you. They 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 had a whole satanic altar in there. The women had yeah. or his wife said that he liked to cut her breast while they had sex. Like, how yeah, does this man even convince himself that he is <laughs> even a little bit innocent of these crimes? Well, this is the thing with like cult leaders right they convince themselves crazy things like they're jesus christ or or innocent in this case but it's just as wild as claiming to be jesus christ because you're definitely not you know what i mean um, yeah you're definitely a hundred percent guilty of all of this. yeah yeah you did this no questions asked so yeah i don't know if they found the actual parts in his house but they found like all the evidence that suggested that they did this in his house, which means he definitely was not innocent. So I don't know how he can convince himself of this. Yeah. I don't know how these guys got out of this, all this, you know, only one of them died. The other one has life. They should all be either dead or, or life in prison without. Prison. Yeah. It, the weirdest thing, the weirdest thing. To, I mean, it's all weird. Don't get me wrong, 
But the weirdest thing yeah. to me is they're just like, one of you dies. <laughs> we need one death for all of these. I, I just don't get how they went from, I know it's the whole trial thing and maybe something was stronger than the other or they could write out stuff in the other cases and not this one. But still, it seems weird that they were able to get the death penalty for one and not all four or like he couldn't just be put in jail with no parole like the rest of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then Robin only gets attempted murder, not first degree. This yeah. man was the mastermind behind everything. He has <laughs> well a breast box. A breast box. That is that is copyright. I'm gonna make sure it's called breast box. No, I won't do that. But uh, I guess because the other two, the other three or two, claimed it was the it wasn't him after the fact, so that they couldn't because they wouldn't testify against him, right? So I guess that's why he got off lighter than the one other one the other one did because edward i think he got the worst of it and then the other ones yeah he's in also in life uh without parole so robin's the only one with parole left which yeah doesn't make any sense <laughs> he'll be 89 by the time he's released so well, you know fingers crossed he, he dies prior to that no uh no you know what i hope i hope on his day that they release him he gets out he sees the sun and dies. Oh, you <laughs> so he has, see that. He has a little bit of hope, you know what I mean? And then just gone. He doesn't have the, <laughs> he doesn't get to the satisfaction of living outside of bars. But that is the Rip Recruit, Sean. But before we cap it off for today, it is time for Cult Critique, which is where we rate each cult after we talked about it out of five stars, just like you would on a Yelp review or something like that. Um, oh God. so, <laughs> and, and don't get too worried about the five stars. It's, it's kind of arbitrary. You can give it whatever you want, as long as you give some, some comments as to why you give it those, those stars. So, so Sean, we, yeah, this is the shittiest of shit. Honestly, it has gone either way. So it is completely up to you. There's no, oh, okay. there's, there's no rules to this. Whatever you say, if you go five stars, I love them. Five stars, I hate them. We will accept whatever you t- whatever you say. So out of five stars, Sean, what will you rate them and why? I'll, I'll go five as good human beings, one as the absolute bottom okay. feeders of this. Uh, they, get a, they get a one. Not yeah. only are they whole pieces of shit, but <laughs> I guess kind of bad at what they do. They attempted 18 murders. Only were not successful on the majority of them and left a lot of evidence, I guess, back then. That's not really stuff that they had to worry about. But, you know, just as far as criminals go, they they would have got caught like after the first one. Instantly, yeah, they would have clapped. (laughs) Exactly. Awful people, bad at what they do. And uh, yeah, if I could give them negative stars, I would. They are awful people. <laughs> we are not advocating finding Andrew or doing anything or Thomas. Andrew's <laughs> dead. Uh, yeah. Not rest in peace. We're not advocating finding Thomas, but it is on the internet. I'm not saying you should find it. I'm not saying you should, but just the information yeah, just, is out there. Just just think negative thoughts towards him. <laughs> Maybe you can it is an address, so you can just send hate mail, I'm sure. Yeah. Send, I don't know. Just don't uh, put it on your average. address. Yeah. 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 Put, uh, put from his brother just to really fuck with him. Because that's kind of what he deserves, Ooh. you know? <laughs> You'll have to see that. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, that is low, but I approve of it. Yeah. I got to agree with you, Sean. I think one star is... Uh, great rating. They're not even a great cult, if we're being honest. So, no. uh, like most cults, start off good, but these guys did not. So, I'm going to go with the one star as well for all the reasons you said. They are terrible human beings, and they deserve life in prison. I think. I think Andrew got off easy. If we're if we're really being real about it, I, I, I'm with you. I'm. I'm. I think. Personally, you know, I don't put a lot of thought into death sentences and things like that. But I'm like, life in prison seems much, much worse than just a death injection. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I'd much rather these guys rot in, in prison forever. Oh, yeah, 100%. And like, I mean, there is something to say about rehabilitation, but 
it's clear that yeah with the with the quotes from robin it's it's clear he has not repented or done anything to come to the grips that he did these things and i doubt he ever will so those are the kind of people that i'm okay with leaving behind bars for life mm-hmm. the other people it's unclear if they you know realize what they've done and try to make amends we i hope they have i hope they are good people now and contribute to society because that is the idea i guess of prison and trying to rehabilitate people yeah 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 i mean there's conversation to be had about whether america's justice system does that but we can only does not there's there's no discussion needed it does not uh work towards (laughs) it is very Um, very much meant for the profits. They're all for profit. Nothing America like capitalism. So yeah, like profit prisons. What is that? As uh, yeah, basically as low as it gets. But yeah, yeah so hopefully, hopefully they are better people now. But uh, I also am okay with them being behind bars for the rest of their life because yeah, I don't think people like that should be roaming around. Thank you everyone for listening. Sean, why don't you tell people about Shots and Thoughts? And if you want, you can tell people about Reddit on Wiki. I'm sure they've heard it enough from me, but uh, Shots and Thoughts for sure. Let's hear about it. Yeah, what's up, Fred? Shots and Thoughts is a podcast comes out every Monday. What we do is we learn something new every week, and then we take shots of liquor, and then we play drinking games that equal more shots of liquor. And then we make the drunkest person give a recap of what we just learned. Our tagline is we're the internet's only improv comedy game show involving shots of liquor and D20s. So, uh, yeah, if you just want to come learn about random stuff and then also hear the debauchery that happens with three-plus shots of liquor, uh, tune in. Shots and Thoughts. We're on all social media at SNTPOD. And if that's not really your vibe, you can uh, also find me on Reddit on Wiki with Josh and his pretty much co-host at this point, John. <laughs> what we do there every week is we learn about something new every week as well, but we use uh, Reddit and Wikipedia as our main sources of research. So are things factual? Probably not, but is it a good time? 100% yes. So yeah, you could check me out on both of those podcasts. They come out every Monday. And they're a whole lot of fun. Oh, social media. You could find us at Reddit on Wiki on all social media. Hell yeah. That was that was good, man. You've been practicing? Damn. I've been trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, as I was thinking about this, Sean, this episode perfectly ties into the episode John and I were on on Shots and Thoughts about breasts and why nipples are not okay for women but are okay for men to expose. Yeah, I worded that poorly, yeah. but uh, you... You're the just. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we talked about, we had Josh and John on uh, Shots and Thoughts. We talked about when did nipples become sexualized. And, uh, you know, whenever you first started mentioning this, I was like, wow, what a perfect tie-in, <laughs> I, you know, finding why they were sexualized and then learning about who sexualized them, probably the worst <laughs> in history. Yeah. I did not clue into this until now. So you are quicker than I am. So so yeah, if you want to go check out Shots and Thoughts, that's a good episode to hop into and then listen to their whole catalog. They've got fucking hundreds of episodes. So I don't know, hundreds, but hundred, at least a hundred probably, right? We are somewhere in the 70s, but it feels okay. like a hundred for sure. Close, close. I mean, close. that's a lot of hours of content if you're looking for content, so... Definitely check them out. Oh, yeah. They're great and funny, and I'm glad for having them on today. And I'm going to do my plugs. So if you're loving this podcast, be sure to give us a review and tell your friends about it. If you want to support us, go to our Buy Me a Coffee page and become a member. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's underscore Cult. You can follow our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Let's Start a Cult Pod. Or you can go to Let's Start a Cult Podcast and sign up for our newsletter. So thank you, Fred, for listening. And thank you, Sean, for coming on today. And talking about this horrific, horrific thing. Definitely one of the most graphic episodes I've done. So I appreciate you being on for it. As, as revenge for the smut, I fully accept this punishment <laughs> that you've given me. And I, I appreciate you bringing me on nonetheless. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you next time. And Fred, we will see you later. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? 
Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing leg day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com cultivate. That's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show.